Amen. Bible says in Romans 12 and 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office or function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy, with cheerfulness. I bring to you this, this evening another kingdom concept. Something that I believe is vital if we're going to be who God's called us to be. And we're going to focus on the beginning of verse number 8. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. That word literally is translated to the parallel of the English word encouragement. So the kingdom concept that I want to teach on this morning is the gift of encouragement. The gift of encouragement. Lord bless you as you're being seated this evening. The gift of encouragement. Paul tells us that within the body of Christ, there are many different functions. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, every members of one another. There are people just in this building tonight, there's a host of different giftings that God has placed within your life. And your giftings may be similar to other people, but they are unique to you. They're unique to you. There are some that are gifted in music. There are some that are gifted in hospitality. There are some that are gifted in preaching. Far too often when we talk about gifts, immediately we, we just jump right to the nine gifts of the Spirit, which are the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, and interpretation in tongues. But there are more gifts in the church than just the nine gifts of the Spirit. In fact, if we look at Romans, or rather 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Word of God says, And God had set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, Diversity of tongues. Now, just in this one verse, it mentions gifts outside of the gifts of the Spirit. It mentions the gifts of helps. There are, there are people that know that their gifting in the kingdom of God is to serve and to help in any way that needs to be done. And they understand that is my gifting. There are some people that will never pastor a church 
because they know that their calling, their gifting, is to assist and to help the pastor. And they learn to operate. It doesn't make them any less than somebody else. They learn to operate in their gifting. Spiritual frustration grows most when we try to operate outside of our gifting. People become frustrated. They don't feel like they're, they don't feel like they're fulfilling their purpose because they're trying to be somebody that God never intended them to be. They're in an identity crisis. But when we understand our gifting, the gift of helps, gift of government, there are people that are blessed in administration. They have a mind. They understand government. I'm not talking about the political world right now. I'm talking about church structure and order and business aspect. That's why I'm so blessed with the men that serve on this board. It's because they're, these men, and I've commended you before, and I commend you again, board, because God blessed this church with strong men that knew how to pray and navigate the will of God. They understood. They made hard decisions regarding church structure. But there are people that are gifted in that. That God blesses people with that. There's some people that are looking at a, at a flow chart or a spreadsheet and go, what in the world does this look like? But then there's other people that can look at it and it all makes sense. It's a gifting. We have to learn how to operate in our gifting. There are people that have the gift of hospitality. They just know how to, to treat people and make them feel so welcome. That's a gifting. Paul goes on to say, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. Exhorteth in the Greek word is actually translated paraclesis. Now, paraclesis carries the idea of bringing someone closely alongside in order to exhort or to urge to encourage, give joy, and comfort him or her. All of these actions make up the gift of encouragement. In other words, just come right alongside that person and just pat him on the back. Just exhort, encourage, strengthen. When Jesus was conversing with his disciples on the night of his arrest, he spoke of the Holy Ghost as the helper or the comforter which is why the Holy Ghost is sometimes referred to as the paraclete, the one who comes alongside to encourage and to exhort. What did he tell the disciples? Think not on what you're going to preach or say, but it'll be given to you at the moment that you need it. The Holy Ghost, the paraclete, is going to come alongside you and, and give you exactly what you need when you need it. The Holy Ghost. Have you ever been talking to somebody and in your mind they're asking you questions and you know you don't know the answer. And you're praying in your mind, God, you got to help me. God, I need the right answer. God, I need to know what to say. Maybe it's a real rough situation and you want to speak a word of peace into that situation. And, and finally you open your mouth and you start talking and in your mind you're going, where in the world is this coming from? I didn't have this planned. I didn't even know this. I'm learning while I'm talking. It's the paraclete. It's the Holy Ghost. Come right alongside you 
and helped you right when you needed it the most. That's what the Holy Ghost does. It's the super that accompanies the natural. The supernatural. Teaching says, this is the way you should go. When you teach, you're telling people, this is how it needs to be. This is the way you should go. But encouragement says, I'll help you go that way. Teaching instructs. Encouragement edifies and lifts people up and helps them along. The, they help them get to where they're, they're supposed to go. A person with the gift of encouragement can help another person move from pessimism to optimism. We got a lot of pessimists in this world. You give them a million, they'll tell you about the taxes they owe on it. It's just that's just how they think. It's how their brains are wired. We got to have the gift of encouragement that operates in the church and the kingdom of God. Probably the best biblical example of someone with the gift of encouragement is Barnabas. His real name was Joseph, but the apostles called him Barnabas which means son of encouragement. We see him in Acts 9, 27. He come alongside Paul and introduced him to a skeptical church. We also see him in Acts 13, 43. He encourages the believers to continue in the grace of God. We see him in Acts 15, 36 through 41, as he chooses John Mark, as a ministry partner, despite Mark's having deserted a previous missionary journey, Barnabas gave Mark a second chance. And all through Barnabas's ministry, he evidenced the gift of encouragement, going up along different people and strengthening them and help them. Hear me today. You may never preach a sermon in your life. You may never sing during a service. You may never get a spotlight on you if that's what you desire. But you can make just as much of a difference in people's lives by being an encourager. You can help people get to heaven by strengthening them and telling them that God will help them and praying for them. We've got to have a revival of encouragement in the kingdom of God. You don't, you don't know how much good you do by telling someone that they can make it. And you don't know how much damage you do when you don't tell them or when you discourage them. How do I encourage, Pastor? You encourage by what you say and you encourage by what you show. William Arthur Ward once said, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. Encourage me and I will not forget you. There's a lot of truth in that statement. Bible says in Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. A right word at a critical moment in a person's life can prove to be more valuable than gifts or the largest amounts of money just by telling them, I believe in you. 
You can do that. I'm proud of you. But what happens is this. Because we are products of our environment. And because we're products of our upbringing. People who did not receive encouragement growing up. Have a hard time giving it to somebody else when they're adults. People that, that didn't get it. They have a hard time giving it. And they live their life seeking it. All they want is somebody tell them, I'm proud of you. It would blow your mind how many people in their 40s and their 50s struggle with wanting affirmation because they didn't get it as kids. The two desires of man, acceptance and affirmation. They want to feel like they belong and they want to feel like they're loved. And you know where this comes from? goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when man sinned the Spirit of God departed from them they lost the love that they had in the Garden and then they were expelled from the Garden so they were rejected so the void in people's heart goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden they want to be corrected they want to get the whole cycle corrected they want to be loved they want to be accepted but see, when you get the Holy Ghost, you get love. And you get acceptance. The problem is we want it from somebody that we can see, not that we can't see. And so if we as children of God can give that encouragement to somebody else, we are the visible representation of God on this earth. So what they're really desiring from God, we give it as people. We give them that love. We give them that encouragement. We let them know they belong to a body of Christ. But if you don't get it growing up, it's hard to give it because you can't give it out of the flesh. You have to let the Spirit help you give that love. You have to let that Spirit strengthen you. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace... Unto the hearers. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying or encouraging or building up. If we really filtered what we spoke and what we said, it would amaze us all as to whether or not it lines up with Ephesians 4.29. If we really filter, the Bible says, James 3, 10 through 12, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Isn't it amazing? There's been times, I'm not going to talk about anybody else, I'm talking about myself right now, times that the Holy Ghost convicted me, the same person that I told I love you, I turned around and talked about. Out of the same mouth, 
that issued forth blessings, then I'm going to issue something that could hurt. Now, I know I'm not the only one that fit in that category. But you can't bless and curse out of the same mouth. Because the default mode of that mouth is not the good, it's the bad. The good was the cover-up for the bad. Because the bad is the carnal atomic nature within you. So you didn't mean the good, you really meant the bad. At the Tower of Babel, the whole earth was one language. They said, we're going to build a tower. We're not going to get flooded out again. This ain't going to happen. And they were all of the same language. And they worked together in so much that God said, hold up a minute. Let's look at this tower over here. These people have a mind to work. They're unified. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to confuse and confound their language. And when their language changed, they were divided according to what they spoke. And when the Holy Ghost come, years and years later, what brought back unity was the language. They all spoke in that heavenly tongue. And they were all unified. But you know what still divides people today? What you say. What divided them then was what they said. They were divided according to their language. And what brings division today, regardless of where you are on this earth, is what you say. It brings division in families. It brings division in churches. If we're going to speak, why don't we adopt the gift of encouragement? Encourage. You've heard me say it before. I view everybody that they have invisible words on their forehead that says encourage me. Encourage me. People want to be encouraged. People want. I'm not talking about just church people. I'm talking about people. On your job. In your school. In your community. You can find something. You can find something good to say. Brother Tenney. T.F. Tenney once said, I've never heard a sermon that I couldn't get something out of, but I have had some close calls. You can find something. You can find something positive and encouraging to speak about somebody. Proverbs 6, 16 says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, an heart that devised wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. If you take the time, I'm not going to go through them right now, but if you take the time to compare these, if you are an encourager, you will avoid all seven things that God hates if you're an encourager. Because that mindful awareness of being an encourager, it will avoid a proud look because encouragers don't look at themselves. They look at other people. It will avoid a lying tongue because you're going to guard 
what comes out of your mouth. I once read a statement that said, uh, 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 an honest person doesn't have to have a good memory. They're not always trying to cover up and piece the lies together. An encourager has a filter that blocks out anything that's negative. An encourager won't shed innocent blood. Encouragers don't throw people under the bus. It avoids the bus from running them over. An encourager doesn't have a heart that deviseth wicked imagination because your, your sweet water flows out of a pure heart. An encourager doesn't have feet that are swift to running to mischief. An encourager avoids mischief. An encourager doesn't speak, is not a false witness that speaketh lies. And an encourager does not sow discord. An encourager sows unity. Discord. God hates discord. God hates somebody that's going to drop little seeds of negativity and hope that they find soil that they can grow in. You know, the Bible tells the story of the wheat and the tares. And the servants wanted to go ahead and start ripping out all the tares. And there's been people in churches before that they want to, they want to tackle the tares. If anybody's got any spiritual sensitivity at all, you can discern who's the tares in the field. You know what the master said? There's a time for that. But don't tackle the tear yet. Lest you destroy some wheat in the process. There's a time where tears will be dealt with. But God never told the servant to deal with it. He said let them grow together. Until the appointed time. This is just my opinion, okay? You know why I believe the master said let them grow together? Because maybe before that appointed time, that tear will find some mercy and turn into some wheat. But if you go plucking prematurely, then you're standing in the seat of judgment. How can a tear turn into a wheat? Encourage them. Encourage, you can encourage someone to an altar. You can encourage someone along the way and they realize, hey, I've made some mistakes. I've done some things wrong. I need to get my act together. But you're never going to discourage someone to an altar. You're going to discourage them out the door. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all done things and said, you know what? That probably wasn't the smartest thing that I've ever done in my life. Probably if I'd had to do that over again, I wouldn't do that. I probably spoke too harshly to this person. I probably now, 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 some people are just blunt. That's just how it is. And it's not that they're trying to be anything. They're just blunt. They just say it, speak their mind, and, and they'll do it to their own spouse as well as a stranger. There are no respecter of persons. Some of y'all know them people. Don't raise your hand. Let me raise mine. That's just how their nature is. They're not trying to be anything. But we've got to have people that are going to sow unity in the body of Christ. They're going to sow love in the body of Christ. You look in the Old Testament. Now understand, 
We're living in the dispensation of grace and mercy right now. But if you want to see how God feels about discord, go to the Old Testament. There have been a whole lot of people that were speaking up against Moses, sowing discord in the body of Christ, and God dealt with them. And he would have wiped out all of Israel had not Moses went and pled before God and interceded on their behalf. So how God really feels about discord is evident in the Old Testament. We're living under grace and mercy where God's given people time to correct the error of their ways. But God's still God. He'll deal with stuff at an appointed time. We've got to have the gift of encouragement operating in the kingdom of God. The Bible says, Proverbs 17 and 9, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. He that covereth. Have you ever had something come your way and you knew somebody did wrong and it landed in your ears what they did? You had two options. Either you covered that matter up or you repeated that matter. And when you repeated it, you separated friends. Two options. When something comes into your ears, either you're going to cover it up with love and not let it go beyond you or you're going to repeat it and you're going to begin to be divisive by what you say. That's why Proverbs eleven thirteen says, A tellbearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. The Bible says those that come back with the Lord are going to be called and chosen and faithful. So if I'm going to have a faithful spirit, a faithful spirit is the, oper- is the opposite of a tail-bearing spirit. A tail-bearer sows strife in the kingdom of God. But a faithful spirit conceals the very thing that will cause division in the body of Christ. A, a, a faithful spirit is going to be an encourager. I'm glad that God did not give up on us like we give up on people. If I was God, heaven would be a lonely place. Because there's been times I put a big old black X with a big Sharpie on people. Shame on, uh, burn me once, shame on me, burn me twice, or whatever that thing is, shame on you, whatever. Burn me twice, shame on me. Some people, we don't even give them twice. We just put a big X on them. What happens is, When people hurt us, our natural response is we build up walls. You're not going to hurt me again. I may have fallen for it once, but I'm not going to fall for it again. And we build up walls to protect ourselves from people hurting us. But you know what? Those walls also block out God from working on you. Though you're trying, you're not trying to block God out, you're trying to block hurt and pain from other people, you're also blocking God. You're not giving them access to the inner part. You know, there's a reason they call it praying through. It's because there's times to get to let God work in your heart. You ain't gonna take five minutes. 
It's going to take a while to process all of the stuff that's been going on in your life. It's going to take 20, 30, 40 minutes, an hour, even longer, and not once a month, to let God start digging out all of that stuff in your life. It takes time. Time. Our flesh wants people to pay the price. Our flesh wants people exposed. We want people to see an individual like we know how they really are. That's our flesh wanting that. We just want, boy, we, God, why won't you deal with this? God, why won't you deal with this? God, why don't, why don't they, why can't everybody else see what I see? There's been times in my own life I prayed that. I wanted God to put these people on blast mode in front of everybody else. I wanted them to suffer for what they did wrong. I knew what they did and I wanted God to deal with it. Let me tell you, God will deal with everything at the right time. Whether it be at judgment or whether it be here on this earth, there's not one thing going to slip God's eye. Not one thing. Watch this. I was praying one day and I said, God, why won't you expose these people? In my particular case, it was a crooked business person. I knew they were crooked, crooked than a snake. They were still operating in business. The Lord brought me to Proverbs 24 when it says, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Let me break that down for you where we live. I've caught myself saying before, that's good for him. That's good for him. He had that coming. I was rejoicing in his fall. But here's what the Lord says. Don't rejoice when he falls. Verse 18, lest the Lord see it and it displease him. And he turned away his wrath from him. When I was praying that time, I said, God, why don't you deal with it? Why don't you deal with it? And the Lord spoke to me and said, because it would make too many people happy if I exposed him. It'd make too many people happy if I dealt with him right now. He said, I'll deal with him. But if I do it right now, too many people, too many of my children would rejoice in it. And that displeases me. So I'm going to turn away my wrath from that man. God will deal with them. But if God sees it's going to bring delight in his children's heart when somebody's exposed, he'll turn away his wrath and he'll save it for a later date and he'll deal with it at a different time. We shouldn't, we shouldn't rejoice when someone falls. But the Bible says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual... Restore such in one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. If we understood grace like God understands grace, There'd be a whole lot more people in this church and in this on these altars. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. 
When someone falls in a church, when a laity falls or ministry falls, it doesn't mean that they can't live for God ever again. It don't mean that. But restoration is a spiritual process. You cannot approach it through the, the, through the flesh. It necessitates grace. It necessitates mercy and understanding. Because if you were the one that needed the grace, and you were the one that needed the mercy, I promise you, you'd want people to encourage you and to strengthen you and to pray for you and to help you. Let me just put it like this. When somebody messes up, they know they messed up. They don't need people telling them they messed up. There's been times in the middle of my preaching, the Lord would begin to work on me and say, you shouldn't have said that. You probably should have avoided that. And I'm talking about while I'm still in the middle of preaching, God's already dealing with me. When somebody's wrong and they know they're biblically wrong, they don't need somebody to remind them that, they, that they're wrong. They need someone to come up beside them and say, hey, it's going to be all right. God loves you. We love you. God's not done with you yet. You still have a purpose in the kingdom of God. People need encouragement. Let me just tell you this. Living for God is not about being controlled. You're a, you're a creature of free will. You can do whatever you want to do. You can pray as long as you want. You can fast as long as you want. You can come to church. You can not come to church. You can move to the other side of the world and live for God. Being a member of this church is not about being controlled. Nobody's going to try to control anybody. If your, if your relationship is in jeopardy, with God is in jeopardy, if you miss one service, that one service wasn't the problem. You got deeper problems than just missing one service. So when somebody messes up and somebody misses one service or whatever, they don't need somebody to come up and, and, and chide them. No. They need somebody to encourage them. Encourage them. There's, there's one man in my life right now that the only reason I am here is because he encouraged me. That one man played a vital part in my life because when I was at my lowest points he'd come along and just put his arm around me I love you man God's going to do great things in your life I see you doing phenomenal things for God and he would just pour encouragement into my heart and that was the water I needed and I just blossomed you don't know what you, you say well I'm so shy write a card write a card Anybody can write on a card and give it to somebody and those words can encourage somebody. People are starving for encouragement. And what this church, the culture of this church, it's going to be a culture of love. Culture of encouragement. When somebody stumbles, we're going to pick them up. We're going to pray them back to an altar. We're going to lift them up in prayer. We're going to encourage them because people in this building will mess up. People in this building will do things 
that we would never imagine them doing. It's going to happen because we're people. People will, will do things that you scratch your head and go, I never saw that coming. You know what we're going to do? We're going to encourage them. We're going to love them. We're going to love them. There was a lady named Jean Nidech or Nidech or something like that. She was a 214-pound homemaker desperate to lose weight. So she went to the New York City Department of Health where she was given a diet devised by Dr. Norman Jolife. Two months later, discouraged about the 50 pounds still to go, she invited six friends to her house to share the diet and to talk about how to stay on it. Today, more than 28 years later, one million members attend 250,000 Weight Watcher meetings in 24 countries every week. And it all started because this one lady needed some encouragement. And she got six of her friends into her house. And they encouraged each other to finish their goal. Why was she able to help people take control of their lives? They asked her this. So this is what she said. This was her story. She said when she was a teenager, she used to cross a park where she saw mothers sitting gossiping while the toddlers sat on their swings with nobody to push them. She said, I'd walk over to their swing and I'd give them a push. She said, you know what happens when you push a kid on a, on a swing? Pretty soon, he's doing it by himself. She said, that's what my role in life is. I'm there to give others a push. There's people, all they need is someone to come up alongside them and give them a push. Just encourage them. Just get some wind back in their sails. Maybe things have been rough. Maybe life's been tough. Do you realize I'm looking at a whole bunch of people right now. And for about 99.5% of the people in this room, I don't have a clue what happened in your life since Wednesday. I don't have a clue. And nor do you know what happened in most of the people's lives in this building unless you're related to them or you talk to them. So you don't know their mental state. You don't know the desperation in their heart just for someone to say, hey, I've been praying for you. You've been on my heart and I love you. You don't know that. You never go wrong being an encourager. Never. Never. You never go wrong telling somebody, hey, you mean a whole lot to this church. I love you. I'm proud of you. I believe in you. You can do this thing. You can make it living for God. There's people been living God for 50 years and, and we think they're pros at this. You know what? They still need encouragement. They still need somebody to pick up the phone and say, hey, I've been thinking about you today. You mean so much to my family. We love you. We appreciate you. What would happen if we all created a culture of encouragement? A culture that just left no room for discouragement. There was so much love that it conquered all of the discouragement and the negativity. The Bible says that you can talk in tongues. You can operate in all the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 13. But if you have not love, it don't matter. It don't matter. 
I don't care how spiritual you are, operating in all the gifts of the Spirit, the person that's going to reflect God is going to be a person that loves people. You cannot love God without loving people. He said on these two commandments that you love God and you love your neighbor, hang all the law and the prophets. When you think about those two commandments and everything that we do as Christians hangs on them, you got to think of it as a picture. One nail, love God. The other nail, love people. If you try to hang that picture with only one nail in place, it's not going to be balanced. But you got to put both nails and upon those two hang all the law and the prophets. The entirety of this book rests upon two things. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Stand with me as we come to a close for our lesson this evening. You say, preacher, you don't know you don't know what it was like growing up and not feeling loved. You don't know what it's like living with my parents. You, you don't know. I was always told I couldn't. I was always told I was bad. And I was always told this, this, and this. I'm not denying that. I'm not saying you didn't have a rough childhood. I don't know all your childhood. But I do know this. The quickest way to feel loved is to give love. Don't wait for somebody to come to you. You give it first and it'll come right back to you. You encourage first and the, as soon as it leaves your lips, it's coming right back. The quickest way to feel encouraged is to be an encourager. I mean, if it's just telling someone, hey, I love that tie. I love that blouse. I love... You, you just have, so, you're always dressed so nice. You just, just brag on them and just, you know what? It's going to start coming right back to you. Be an encourager. Be an encourager. Let's bow our heads this, this evening. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for these wonderful people here tonight. I'm thankful, Lord, for the word of God that we were able to share together. Lord, I have no doubt in my mind that every one of these individuals has a deep desire to be an encourager and to be such a great attribute and asset to the kingdom of God. And Lord, at times when our mind wants to go straight towards the negative, I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God would filter out all of that stuff and that we would, we would be encouragers, that we would sow good seed, that we would love people. It's a kingdom concept, God. The gift of encouragement has to be active in the church. We love you. We want to be pleasing to you. Amen. As we transition, here's what I want you to do. I want you to step out of your pew, and we're going to be encouragers. I want you to find somebody and just tell them, hey, I love you. I appreciate you. Why don't you just let that flow over the next few minutes as we prepare to go towards our evening worship.